In dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us right here on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. That's if you're listening to our shortwave service into the continent, but thank you for joining us as well if you're listening to us via the DSTV Bouquet Channel 902. Thank you for streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to look back at this the very thing that we're very passionate about here on African Dialogue, which is uh, looking at young people. Uh, last week, we were looking at youth, uh, the youth populations on, on the continent, and uh, we're going to look at youth leadership in contemporary Africa. So before we look at that particular uh, angle, uh, let's move on and get our story, uh, or rather, let's get our new stories from Onel Nzinzi. Thank you, Benjamin. Now looking at your headlines this morning. Burundi postpones presidential elections by almost a week. Al-Shabaab militants attack a military base in central Somalia and private businesses and street vendors slowly open in the main center of Lesotho's capital, Maseru, amidst a stay away. With your latest news, a very good morning. I am Onelin Tsinzi. Burundi's presidential elections have been postponed by nearly a week after United Nations officials warned the president's decision to seek a third term could spark an explosion of violence. Presidential spokesperson Gervais Abayeho says President Pierre Nkurunziza has searched a delay to try halt worsening violence in a nation that emerged from civil war only a decade ago. He says Nkurunziza signed the decree in response to a request from leaders of East African states. Bernard Bankukira has more. The president's office now announced that uh, the election, which was slated for uh, July 15th, has been moved to uh, July 21st. So six days, additional days have been awarded to the campaigners or to the can- candidates to, to, to run the campaigns because when we talked to the, the spokesman of the president, uh, he said that this additional time has been awarded. He said that uh, this time would help them to run the campaign. 
Gunmen from Somali militant group Al-Shabaab have attacked a military base in the central Somalia on Monday, killing at least four soldiers. Al-Shabaab, which wants to topple Western-backed government in Mogadishu, has in the past stepped up the number of raids during the Muslim fast month of Ramadan, which begin, began in mid-June and ends this week. Two Al-Shabaab fighters have also been killed in the raid. Four people have been killed and 15 wounded when a rocket hit a residential district in the eastern Libyan port city of Benghazi on Sunday. There was no immediate claim for the attack. Islamic State militants have claimed previous rocket attacks in Libya's second largest city, where army forces allied to armed, armed locals have been fighting Islamist groups for more than a year. Private businesses and street vendors are slowly opening in the main city of Lesotho's capital, Maseru, after waiting to see if the stay away called by opposition parties gathered momentum. Opposition parties called the stay away to show contempt for the killing of former army commander Mabarangwe Mahau, who was laid to rest at the weekend. Traffic on the main entries in the city centre was very sparse in the early hours, as many minibus taxis remained cautious. Police maintain a heavy presence in the CBD. Factory workers made their way on foot and in taxis. Most government services and large corporates populated by those who own private cars opened on time, but private businesses and vendors waited to see if it was safe. Many are now open as minibus taxis trickle into the city. Some taxi associations and workers' unions have distanced themselves from the two-day stairway for the second time, even though some operators said they were throwing their weight behind it. And finally, Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe has reiterated the African Union's call for debt cancellation for the three countries worst affected by the Ebola crisis in West Africa. He has also urged the private sector in those countries to do more. Mugabe was speaking at an Ebola recovery conference at the United States in New York in his capacity as chairperson of the African Union. We reiterate the African Union's call for debt cancellation for Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone, as this will free up the country's resources and allow them to focus on investing in recovery and in building resilience to ensure that they can effectively address any potential resilience of the virus. Now recapping on your top stories, Burundi postpones presidential elections by almost a week. Al-Shabaab militants attack a military base in central Somalia and private businesses and street vendors slowly open in the main center of Lesotho's capital, Maseru, amidst a stay away in the country. Channel Africa News. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we're going to be looking at the theme, the role of youth leadership in contemporary Africa. Now, just last week, we were looking at uh, the recent UN statistics that revealed that by the year 2040, Africa will have 2 billion people living on the continent and will be a home of 2 out of 5 
five of the young people in the world. Now, this shows that a lot of investment and development is required to really focus on the youth population as a future venture. Yaya Toure, the Ivorian professional footballer this past Friday, wrote an article focusing on youth development in Africa. It was published by The Guardian in partnership with the Bill Melinda Foundation. Now, Toure says that young minds must be fed, he continues to say, girls and boys must have equal access to decent primary and secondary schooling, learning numeracy, literary and IT skills, and that everyone should expect all of these uh, uh, types of skills for young children. And he continued to say that many are forced to leave school too early, wasting their potential before it has begun. Now, to look at this dynamic, does Africa actually consolidate or actually acknowledge African or youth, African youth leadership? And today we're going to be partnering with the African Leadership Academy, really looking at this uh, particular uh, issue. And I just want to cite some of uh, the views that I've heard and that I've uh, really looked at in terms of youth leadership. Emma Howard, who is uh, uh, a digital journalist, says young people today need to see leaders who truly act as role models. Uh, She continues to say in this article, not the leaders you find in the House of Commons or on the front cover of Glossy magazine, but leaders who look, sound, breathe and smell like them. He says that we need to see leaders who are black, white and every shade in between. And she continues to say that society needs to invest in actually seeing this kind of versatile form of leadership. So we're going to really look at this particular uh, theme, but let's take a quick break and then we'll come back to that. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine oh five. Or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at channelafrica numerical one. Or write to us at the address PO Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. presenter Richard Nwamba, you're welcome to Channel Africa. Thank you so much for having me. Who really is Richard Nwamba? Richard Nwamba is Raul Francisco Nwamba. I actually changed my name here when I arrived 40 years ago in 1975 to Richard Nwamba because at school when I, every, every time I would say my name is Raul, they would start asking what is Raul? Some of them would call me Raul because of the way it's written, mm. R-A-U-L. So I said no, 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 my name from now on is no longer Raul Francisco Nwamba, it's Richard Nwamba. I was born in Mozambique, but I've been living here for uh, for the past 40 years. As I said, I arrived in 1975. 
So literally, that's what I am. The rest, as I say, is history. What do you love most about African music and who are your favorite musicians and why? Oh my goodness. I think African music is the most polyglot, the most polychromatic, the most beautiful music that the world has ever produced. We here in Africa have got the biggest variety of music than anywhere on earth. And the fact that, of course, we've given birth to rock and roll, to jazz, to blues, to pop. All the music genres that are now popular in the world, they are rooted in Africa. So that to me is a great source of pride. And of course, the, the fact that you can get, play the music of Madagascar, and you play the music of Cape Verde, you play the music of uh, Libya. In other words, this huge variety with different genres, it, it fascinates me. And of course, I tell stories about how the music came about and so on and so on. As far as the, the having favorites, oh my goodness, there's so many. The late Cesare Evra is one of them, uh, Cesare Evra from Cape Verde. And of course, the, the late Fela Nukula Kut of Nigeria. There's so many. Kokombasi from Cameroon. In Mozambique, there's Wazimbu. And of course, yeah, there's Mama Africa, Mira Makeba. Every November, I make sure that I, I dedicate the whole of November for her music because she's, she's really been very instrumental in influencing your Kajanini, your Kumba Gaulo, Kajanini from Benin, Kumba Gaulo from Senegal, and so on and so on. So the, the Bonga from Angola, that's another one of my favorites. There's so many. Eventually, it's almost unfair to mention some of them and not mention the others. You are now a music presenter for Channel Africa. What will your program be called and what sort of music do our audience expect to hear from you? Well, it's going to be called Africa in Song. So literally, Africa in Song, it means that I'm going to be telling African stories through music. There are so many rich stories that we, we can tell. The story of Sunjata Keita, you know, that 13th century founder of the Malian Empire. How this man who literally had only the use of his arms because he was, he was paraplegic, he became the founder of the Malian Empire. There's quite a number of stories to be told about people like Kwame Nkrumah, for instance, how he espoused this philosophy of Pan-Africanism, which was not really unique because George Padmore in uh, Trinidad had also spoken about that. W.E. Du, du Bois from uh, the United States has also uh, spoken about that. Marcus Garvey from Jamaica had also spoken about that. So literally, tell stories about how our continent came to be the way it is politically, culturally, and uh, in many other facets of our beautiful continent. What time will your program be aired? It will be from 6 o'clock to uh, 8 o'clock every evening uh, on Saturdays and Sundays. That's Richard Nwamba, our new presenter for Channel Africa. This is Ilitongo Rib. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. You're still listening to African Dialogue on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Today, we are partnering, partnering with the African Leadership Academy, and today we're looking at the role of youth leadership in contemporary Africa. As I mentioned when we started the program, the recent UN statistics reveal that by the year 2040, Africa will have 2 billion people living on the continent and will be a home of 2 out of 5 young people in the world. Now as I mentioned earlier on this needs that this means that we need a lot of work to do in terms of development and focusing on investment in the young population as a future venture now to help us with this we've got Shami Asuriani Rian who is the director of uh, lifelong engagement at the African Leadership Academy and leading the effort to reconnect graduates to others and to Africa, as well as uh, one of the uh, graduates or students 
at uh, the uh, African Academy, African Leadership Academy. We've got Alexia Paradzia, uh, who Paradzai rather, who is uh, born in Zimbabwe and lived in a small town of uh, Chiretsi for most of her life. And her father works as a freelance hunter, and her mother is a housewife. She's currently working on a project she started called Afro Fresco, and the hope is to make the arts interesting and relevant to more Zimbabweans. Afro Fresco is a platform to introduce more people in Zimbabwean arts using social media and public spaces. This sounds very interesting. But let me start this conversation with you, Sham. We're talking about uh, youth leadership today, and we know that, hey, when you look at these statistics, the populations of uh, the continent really are focused on young people. And how do we define African youth leadership in this kind of context? Thanks, uh, Benjamin. So uh, I'd like to start off first by uh, describing what African Leadership Academy does and then perhaps answering the question. Yeah, no problem. So African Leadership Academy um, is a two-year leadership institution um, based here in Johannesburg, South Africa. We attract some of the best talent from across the continent between the ages of 16 and 19. We put them through a fairly rigorous program that emphasizes entrepreneurial leadership on the one hand, African studies on the other, and we also importantly connect our young leaders to opportunities both while they are on campus. And um, where I come in is um, we, we run a program that is actually servicing our students throughout their lives. So we connect them to opportunities for the rest of their lives, both in terms of job opportunities, but also conferences and a whole host of activities that help expose our young leaders to what it really means to be change makers on the African continent. So we take it quite seriously in terms of what we believe in terms of youth leadership. We believe that we believe in the power of youth, and we believe that youth um, have the power to shape and transform the African continent. We think that Africa's ills are largely due to the fact that we've had a vacuum of, of ethical and entrepreneurial leaders. And what we try and do here at African Leadership Academy is to address both. We have a very values-based curriculum. Um, we have six values that we talk about all the time and infuse our, um, our curriculum with, the, with these values. But mm. importantly, we also believe that youth have the power to make changes and to mm. drive solutions to Afri- Africa's most pressing problems that of poverty, that of inequality, that of health, access to education, etc. So what we do at African Leadership Academy is not just a two-year program. We um, help our students also get access to university opportunities globally. And then importantly, we encourage our young leaders to then come back to Africa to serve in leadership positions across the continent. To date, we have um, close to 700 students from African Leadership Academy, of which roughly 450 are graduates, and Alexia, whom, from whom you'll be hearing um, shortly, is one of our graduates. We um, have university, students at universities globally. We have students in university in North America, in Europe, where Alexia actually is currently studying in China and most recently in Asia as well. Um, but we are importantly connecting our students to come back to Africa every summer. Um, or the Northern American, Northern Hemisphere Summer, we connect our students to internship and opportunities back on the African continent. Alexia, for example, is spending some of her summer break from Germany Mm. in helping out um, with a summer camp experience here back at African Leadership Academy. So we put our money where our mouth is. We connect our students to opportunity. We put them in leadership positions. We help them drive solutions to Africa's most pressing problems. Mm. So in terms of youth leadership, we think that there is no, we, we actually, there's no shortcut. We need to put leadership opportunities into our youth hands. So I'd actually turn, uh, like to turn it to Alexia to answer the question in terms of how we define 
African youth leadership and what she is she's currently doing here to address that. Well, thank you. Um, okay, so how I would um, hi. Um, so how I would define youth leadership is um, just young people recognizing that they have a role to play in how the future of Africa plays out and um, recognizing that they have the potential to see things through and then being proactive to implement projects or um, even little revolutions in whatever way they can. And it doesn't have to be something radical or big, but even just small gradual stepping stones um, to make things happen. Um, for example, during my gap year, I implemented the project Afrofresco, and it was um, just a way to get Zimbabweans seeing that they do have an arts and culture scene. Because even though, for example, we have the Harare International Festival of the Arts, um, a lot of Zimbabweans actually are not aware of the number of artists and the amount of talent we have like in visual arts. Mm. So my task was just to make a, a blog and a Facebook page where I'd regularly update them on what's going on, as well as to have um, a few exhibitions in Harare, uh, public exhibitions where we just show up with a projector and just show um, artists and inspiring images. And it was actually really cool to see the reactions that we got from people being like, oh, is this from Zimbabwe? Is this what all people are making? And I think that's a way you can um, implement leadership, to, to become a leader just by doing small things like this and helping people see the potential in in Africa. Hmm. You know, Alexia, that's very interesting that you're saying that because sometimes when people think of leadership, they're thinking of very much macro positions. They think of managerial positions, actually being a CEO of a company or becoming a president or positions that are very, uh, very much, uh, um, very mainstream, like being a doctor. Why is it important for uh, young people to start seeing the opportunities right in front of them like you are and start utilizing those? Um, I think that's important because it's manageable. For example, mm. that's the very practical answer. But for example, I'm in university right now. I don't think I could succeed as being a CEO of a company. So um, you have to make the change where you can and then to grow as well. And also, um, a lot of the things which have to change have to change gradually as well. Um, it's not just big economic changes that are necessary. It's simple things like picking up litter, like starting a project to pick up litter wherever you are, or... Um, fighting for women's rights in very small ways because that itself um, leads to long-lasting and gradual change that will stand the test of time. Mm. Come back to you, Shami. I was highlighting um, a piece that I read just recently um, by Yaya Toure. It's actually wrote it last week, Friday, and it was published in The Guardian. He was partnering up with the Bill Melinda Foundation. It was highlighting something that you guys are probably doing. It was saying that uh, young minds need to be fed. Uh, young girls and boys must have access to decent primary and uh, secondary schooling, learning numeracy, uh, literacy, and IT skills. I think the big word here when it comes to really developing the youth population is access. How important is that, Shami? Well, it's critical. So I think access to opportunity is almost the the biggest uh, bottleneck to helping young people realize their potential. So, for example, we at African Leadership Academy believe in in providing access to all kinds of opportunities. For example, um, in the past few years, we have had students, young students, um, for example, a student from the inaugural class of African Leadership Academy address um, the Mo Ibrahim Foundation um, Summit. Um, And we've had her, for example, be on stage with someone like Desmond Tutu. We've had another young leader be on stage with... um, 
current sitting heads of government um, as well, and engaging on issues of how youth can get involved in government and make change, etc. We believe that putting our young people on stage with current leaders is actually a vital, um, it, it, it's a solution to actually helping create this dialogue between people who are the future and who can create the change that they eventually want to see. Um, we provide access to a whole host of other opportunities. For example, we run a program called Africa Careers Network, which every year connects close to 300 young leaders to internship and job opportunities on the African continent. And we provide opportunities and internships in your big corporates like IBM, GE, Colgate, Coca-Cola, as well as small and medium enterprises and NGOs. And we believe that these internship opportunities um, provide the critical professional experience and polish that allow young people to then take advantage of their full-time employment. And many of these interns then go on to working in full-time careers even in, in, in um, even after they complete their internships. We, we think that these opportunities are vital because they are allowing young people to make the change, like Alexia said, in their communities, in their spaces that are small enough, but eventually if you add them all up, they cre can create great change. Um, allow me to give an example of a young leader from also our inaugural class, Eddie Okech, who is a young Kenyan. Um, he graduated from university last year and currently is in um, a program at Yale University. He runs an NGO in Kenya called Peace, Africa, and Development, and he touches close to 5 million youth in terms of mobilizing them to think through positive ways in which to engage with their communities. Um, he started this NGO as a response to the first um, bout of election violence post the 2007 elections in Kenya. And as a result, he was quite dis dis disenchanted and actually said to himself, what, what if I created an NGO that helps people to think of ways in which they can engage with their communities and also shape solutions to the problems that um, that he saw around him. So currently he, he employs people, he employs full-time people, he's under the age of 25 and he employs people and he touches close to 5 million youth in Kenya. This is just one example. We have many students that are like mm. Eddie, but we also believe that giving mm. people the power and the access to these kinds of opportunities to help drive these solutions is the only way forward. Mm. I also want to come back to the issue of gender. I'm speaking to two ladies, young ladies. How important is that, uh, the issue of equity, especially when it comes to um, really empowering young people but i want to bring this conversation to you as the listener hey how important do you think it is for us as africans to really invest in young people in our respective countries let us know your thoughts sms us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero that's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero today we are partnering up with the african leadership academy we had a story last week looking at the u.n statistics that revealed like a huge huge numbers of 2 billion people living on the continent by 2040 and a majority of those people will be young people and uh, we thought hey let's do a follow-up on looking at how do we actually invest in young people what practical things do we do to ensure that young people are actually occupied within the space of development on the continent what are your thoughts do sms us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero i'm going to take a quick break and continue with our guests to look at these issues This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, 
Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 27 past uh, 11 o'clock Central African time. You are listening to uh, Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushadama. Thank you for joining us. If you're listening to us on our shortwave services on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. That's our uh, service into the continent. And if you're listening to us uh, online, it's on www.channelafrica.co.za. If you're listening to us on DSTV, thank you for joining us as well there on uh, the radio bouquet. That's Channel 902. Now, let's come back to this issue of uh, uh, really this gender-related issue when it comes to empowering women on the continent. Alexia, you are a young uh, person working in, uh, uh, really, you are an entrepreneur, I can say that, uh, because you're actually establishing your own enterprise and you're taking a brave step in terms of uh, actually moving forward as a young person on the continent. Do you have challenges as a female in terms of uh, trying to be an entrepreneur? Um, Yes, of course there are challenges like that. Um, Something I faced quite a bit um, during my gap year when I was going around trying to implement this is people um, underestimating me either because I'm young or either because I'm a woman, either one or the other. And it was something that was hard to face, but it was also quite fun to disprove them in terms of my ability. And I think that's why um, what African Teachers Academy is doing is very important because they do support a lot of students um, who work with um, empowering young women all over Africa. So I'm grateful for my classmates who are doing things like that so that people like me can keep carrying my projects and actually being seen as credible. And coming back to you, uh, Shami, your own challenges. I know that you've also uh, very much worked in different parts of uh, the empowerment sector, the humanitarian sector, and you've done your own kind of work in different organizations. What have been your challenges as uh, as a female pioneer? Well, it's interesting that you say that. I think um, I've had my own challenges. I think one of the biggest things that um, face women in particular is that we don't ask enough, and I don't think we also, um, we don't put ourselves out there as easily. And some of these are being addressed head-on at African Leadership Academy through our entrepreneurial leadership curriculum. We um, encourage, even even at ALA, we have um, issues of gender. We have, um, you know, our student government, for example, is, is split with, with a female and a male representative. But historically, we've had, for example, our male student government chair always speaking first. We've had to institutionalize a mechanism by allowing the woman chair to also address the, the community first. And we've had to, so I would suggest that there's, I would, I would say that there's a couple of things here. There's personal stories that many people have in terms of, you know, combating gender issues, but there's also institutional mechanisms. And we need to be mindful as a society to, 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 um, to address both and to make sure that institutions are responsive to addressing gender issues of gender imbalance. Um, and then also, um, for example, our admissions process, we've had 
consistently 50% um, women admitted to ALS programs. But we've had to go the extra mile to enable our young women to allow themselves to be much more assertive and ask for, for help, but also for to, to, to claim the stage as equivalently as men do. So the battle is long. I think we've just started, but we've seen that our young women at ALA are just as capable as, as their male counterparts, and I just see that the youth are extraordinary, and putting the power in their hands can make definitely can make this change happen. And also another dynamic that's very interesting is asserting oneself. And uh, staying with you, Shami, just for a while before I go back to Alexia, in terms of uh, youth leadership, we can talk about it and you can empower young people to have a certain confidence about how they interact with the world. But does the corporate sector actually acknowledge this kind of youth leadership, this this way of uh, um, kind of advanced and progressive way of seeing young people? It's an interesting question. So um, as part of Africa Careers Network, we've seen um, corporates have a very interesting relationship with youth. On the one hand, they see them as um, cheap labor, and you often see, you know, if you take an intern on, your typical response from a corporate is, oh, that intern is there to just make photocopies or fetch coffee. Um, We've had an interesting experience in trying to educate corporates to say, young people are capable of a lot, and by giving them responsibilities, they can actually add tremendous value to your organization, not least because they see the world in a completely different way, but um, by also challenging the status quo. So in our internships program, what we ask of corporates is to give people that challenge and that responsibility, and we see this met with great, great interest, and a lot of corporates come back to us and say thank you for pushing us to encourage young people to challenge the status quo. So we've had young people, for example, sitting in as a side participant in strategy meetings, then to actually driving some of the strategy decisions that are being made in corporates, such as even GE or P&G. Um, and so this is promising for us because we think that corporate, uh, the corporate sector needs to be challenged and that the old ways of doing things need to fundamentally shift in order to, to make changes. Our motto and philosophy is that if you're good enough, you're old enough. And most of our ALA students um, and people that come through our networks are good enough. So we're very excited to hopefully change this this paradigm um, within the corporate sector. Alexia, coming back to you in terms of uh, looking at that dynamic on how the corporate sector sees you as a young person. I mean, you're from Zimbabwe. There's some political strife in your country. Sometimes, you know, African young people are seen as uh, as a charity case. Oh, we feel sorry for you. Come, let's uh, get a job for you. And uh, uh, and also, you you female. So let's empower you also because you're a young African. You know, so sometimes it can be very pessimistic and almost uh, alienate you as an as a young African. Woman, how do you counteract those kind of stereotypes that are attached to being a young African person? Um, I already mentioned that um, there's ways you can start um, small revolutions wherever you are, and that's the main way you can do it. Um, for example, in Zimbabwe, despite the political strife, you still find people who are prospering and who are doing their best to bring around to bring about change. For example, there's the artist Kuzanai Chulai. Um, he's done a lot of interesting and controversial political work, but then despite that, he he brings issues to the forefront and he does everything he can to get people talking about the situation that's actually happening and to do what he can to change it through his art. So that's one way you can do it. And then there's also young entrepreneurs um, like Saul Kwazeza. I'm not sure I pronounced his name correctly, but um, he's doing a lot of work in Zimbabwe as well in terms of encouraging young people, serving as a mentor, launching new programs. So it's about 
just keep on keeping on despite the political strife and then and to create open dialogues as well. Um, there's um, a few channels in Zimbabwe where you can actually have open dialogue about what's going on um, despite the um, the nationally run um, I'd say television stations and radio stations, there's a few um, radical platforms where people can actually discuss what's going on and discuss potential change. And so this is how young people do it, by just stepping forward and doing what needs to be done and putting issues on the forefront. Well, we're going to take one more break, but I want to bring back to you, uh, bring this conversation back to you, the listener, in terms of what we're talking about here. As I mentioned when we started the program, and I really want to emphasize this because we're going to keep looking at this issue of young people because I think it's a, a new conversation that needs to be kind of reestablished. We know that uh, in 2040, Africa will have 2 billion people living on the continent, and uh, uh, 2 out of 5 of the young people in the world will be in Africa by that particular time. So we need to spend our our mindsets and our thinking in finding out ways on how we can actually uh, invest in young people on the continent in terms of your views as the listener how do you think that we can better invest in young people on the continent let us know your thoughts plus two seven seven nine six nine five three seven nine three zero let me say that number again it's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero that's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero we are going to come back and uh, continue our conversation with the african leadership academy on the line we've got alexia Paradzai, who is uh, born in zimbabwe and uh, is from a small town of Chiredzi. She started her own project titled Afro Fresco, where she hopes to make the arts interesting and relevant and to combine that with social media and actually ensure that people understand the platforms that are actually accessible to Zimbabwean arts and she uses social media for this particular uh, outlet. And we also have uh, Shami uh, Suryana Ryan, who is uh, the director of uh, Lifelong Engagement at uh, African Leadership Academy, leading the effort to reconnect the graduates to others and to Africa. Ashami joined the African Leadership Academy in February 2012 as the Director of Global Partnerships. We're going to continue this conversation. When we come back, I want to look at this issue of what Alexia is actually doing using social media as a way of sending out information. We live in a very much globalized uh, world where actually everyone is connected and we have more access to uh, study, job opportunities in the world and also we can connect with each other's internet we know social media is playing a big platform how is that changing the way young people actually see the world and interact with this world stay with us here on african dialogue i'm benjamin mishatama get to know channel africa and all the people who bring news views and great african entertainment you can now catch channel africa on dstv audio bouquet channel 902 channel africa the voice of the African Renaissance.
What a great conversation we're having today looking at youth leadership in modern Africa. How do we actually invest in young people? We were actually stunned and we stood back when we heard those recent statistics of uh, the young population and also there's problems of unemployment on the continent. There's also strife when it comes to civil wars and political unrest. Where do the young people fit in in terms of uh, development on the continent? Today we are really partnering up with the African Leadership Academy really to look at this uh, particular subject matter. What are your thoughts on it? Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. How do we invest more in the development of young people on the continent? What do we need to do? Does it only lie in the government's hand or do you and I have a responsibility to nurture young people? What are your thoughts? Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Coming back to you, Shami, uh, it's interesting what Alexia is also doing as she was highlighting that she's using social media, blogging, um, so she's using also the Facebooks and the Twitters to ensure that there's access for others to understand what's happening in Zimbabwean's arts. We are living in that space, really, Shami, where actually we're living in a more connected world. Internet is actually making sure that we know what's happening in London, we know what's happening in New York, we know what's happening in Lagos. At the same time, we're more connected today. Is this changing the way that young people see the world and how they can actually interact with their own continent and the opportunities that lie therein? Yes, um, so I think that's that's a very important point. I think, for example, technology is changing the way that, on two fronts, both how youth engages with um, the world in general and how the world engages with Africa. And I'd love to, you know, call on some experiences that Alexia herself has had. But I'd like to just touch on a couple of things. One is that we we see Africa, for example, not as a um, laggard in any sort of regard, but I think as the as the forefront of a lot of innovation at African Leadership Academy. For example, we're using really cutting-edge um, curriculum. For example, our entrepreneurial leadership curriculum is probably one of its kind in the world. We um, use a framework called the BUILD framework, um, Believe, Understand, Invent, Listen, and Deliver, to really help young leaders think critically um, of how to drive solutions in their communities and address problems. Um, We are now partnering with a couple of different organizations globally to deliver some of this curriculum. So we have partnerships with a school in China and also in Slovakia. We are driving this um, innovation, and we think that Africa can now be the forefront of something quite unique in the youth leadership space. So that's one point regarding sort of Africa's place in the world. Um, regarding technology, I'm quite humbled to work with young people because they teach me every day that technology will revolutionize the way in which we both learn and engage with each other. For example, um, we have been trying to um, cultivate a, curric- a, a curriculum around professional development, etc. We run a series of professional development webinars, and um, we try and get experts to give lessons on professional etiquette, interviewing, experiences in health or consulting or other kinds of sectors, when we delegated some of this responsibility to our students, they did a far better job of driving both interest and also demonstrating actually what it is to, you know, good learning outcomes in this regard. So we think that our young people have such a good grasp of technology on the one hand, but also they can use technology really innovatively to think through how to get the the message across in the best possible manner. And it's by, again, putting the power in our young people's hands that we've been able to see um, almost a sea change in in how we um, communicate content. I just think that this is the tipping point. We have so many young people designing education 
acts and mm. education um, opportunities across multiple um, countries in Africa. And I just see that this is going to be a, a social movement across the board in which they use technology in a very, very interesting and unique way and thereby position Africa as a pioneer of something quite revolutionary um, across the world. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I'd like I to actually it... turn to Alexia in terms of how she views the views the world in, in terms of her own experience yeah, and her own yeah, local yeah. I wanted well to ask her the very same thing as well but also in terms of that as well Alexia coming to that issue as well as uh, you know we might be connected to internet we might be connected to social media but are we also connected to our continent in terms of uh, the political agenda within our our continent sometimes we look at the politics of the continent and sometimes we feel very distanced from being part of that agenda what what is your view from that perspective as well Alexia um i from my personal experience, I do agree that perhaps reading the news on maybe a country like Nigeria that's so far away from where I come from, um, there can be a sense of distance, like, oh, okay, that's a place that's far away, it has nothing to do with me. But I feel like the Internet does a lot to bring us closer um, through different networks. Um, for example, um, I was just checking out Instagram right now, and there's this hashtag that's going around called the Africa the media never shows you. And this is bringing together so many Africans from um all over the continent, really, and it's just people showcasing their lives um, in a sense of unity, and that, in a way, helps bring us closer and helps us remember that we we come from the same place and um, we are part of the same future. Um, and I feel that the media um, has a big role to play. Media and technology have a big role to play um, among young Africans because it's our main vehicle for transporting messages um, I know, for example, that when I was carrying out my project, um, my phone uh, and my Gmail was my best friend. It's the best way to communicate with people, to get a message across, and it's very responsive, and it's one way to keep up to date and to find more information, and it keeps us educated and relevant. So I think that's the part it plays um, with us. But also I feel like it helps to portray a better image of Africa to the world. Um, I know that from my experience um, with my travels, there's a perception that Africa is this you mentioned it yourself that as young Africans are seen as being hopeless and, oh, we should help them. Then when we can portray images of ourselves as being strong, as being powerful, when we can showcase our successes through media and technology, then this helps push the continent further and create motivation. Well, that's a great way to end the program. Thank you. And I think that we need to come back and do something again with the African Leadership Academy because there's so many facets of this to look at. But I want to thank Alexia Paradzai for joining us. Also, want to thank Shami uh, Suranai Rain for joining us as well. And uh, thank you also to the African Leadership Academy for partnering with us for this particular program. Uh, thank you both for joining us on the program. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Great. That's how we wrap it up. Hey, we want to hear your thoughts. How do you think that uh, we can invest more in the youth on the continent? Are we seeing that, hey, the future lies in their hands in terms of these population statistics that we're seeing? What are your thoughts? Plus 27796957930. That's plus 27796957930. It's time for me to move on quickly and get our economics update from Tabiso Leoko. We would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at 
plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical One. Or write to us at the address PO Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006, Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And I'm Tabiso Lohoku. World leaders are meeting in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa for a development financing summit presented as crucial for the United Nations efforts to end global poverty and manage climate change by 2030. The objective of the five days of talks, the third summit of its kind after talks in Monetary in 2002 and Doha in 2008 is to lay out the ground rules for a fairer world of inclusive low carbon growth. That means deciding how to fill a colossal annual investment gap in key sustainable development sectors for developing nations. Africa's biggest mobile operator, MTN, which is grappling with an eight-week strike at its South African operations, plans to cut hundreds of jobs. Citing unnamed sources close to the company, the Business Report newspaper says MTN will go through with layoffs as the strike has shown the company could do without some of its workforce. MTN has declined to comment on the report, saying it's in a closed period. Job cuts are a thorny issue in South Africa, where often violent union militancy has been on the rise and the unemployment rate is over 25%. Two tankers have arrived in the eastern Libyan port of Ariga to lift 1.15 million barrels of crude. Another tanker is expected to lift 600,000 barrels of oil from the eastern Brega port. No liftings are expected in the next days at the Zuatina port, also located in the east due to an ongoing pipeline blockage by locals demanding state jobs. South Africa's largest public sector union, Nahau, and affiliate of largest federation, Kusatu, says it will not allow affiliate support in the return of expelled General Secretary Zulinze Mavavi and NUMSA to change the agenda of the Special National Congress. Nahau says they must appeal their expulsion at the Ordinary Congress in November, which will also elect the new leadership of Nahau, of, of Nahau rather. Nahau is a spokesperson, Caesar Pamela. Right from the start, the meeting is likely to be contentious. We apologize for that incorrect soundbite. The state of Zimbabwe's roads is appalling that motorists say they have to drive like Hollywood stuntmen. The challenges range from trucks submerged in water-filled craters right in the central business district to gruesome road accidents, with motorists having to navigate hazards such as these every day. Motorists must pay tolls to Zinara, but a report delivered to Parliament last month by Zimbabwe's Auditor General, Mildred Chiri, revealed widespread abuse of funds in the road authority. Financial indicators at the hour. The U.S. dollar trades at 12.42 South African Rand, 9.76 in Botswana, 7.72 in Zambia, 
six four British pound, eight nine to the euro. Gold trades at one one six two dollars. Platinum one zero two three dollars an ounce. Brand crude oil five seven dollars, seven zero cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. My name is Tabi Solohoku. Now let's move on and get our sports feeling what is standing by. In our sports update this hour, starting off with rugby news, the Springbok selectors finalized the squad of 31 players that will travel to Brisbane for the opening match of the Castle Lager Rugby Championship next Saturday at the Suncorp Stadium against the Wallabies. The touring squad consists of 22 players who did duty against the Wild 15 at DHL Newlands in Cape Town on Saturday. The only member of the match day squad to stay behind in South Africa is John De Villiers, who has been released to DHL Western Province to get game time in the Absa Curry Cup warm-up matches in the next fortnight. And into cricket news, the Proteas have ruled their inability to build a partnership and the soft dismissals in their seven-wicket loss to Bangladesh in Mapur. All-rounder Farhan Behadin ruled out complacency on the protest part and gave credit to the host for their tenacity and execution on the day. The 36-year-old Behadin rallied the tail to take the protest to a respectable score of 160. A total, he says, the team was hopeful of defending. And the Kenya National Sevens rugby players have thrown their 2016 Africa Olympics qualification preparations into a spin after declaring that they will not report training until their three-month salary and bonus areas are settled. According to long-serving team manager Steve Sewe, Kenya Rugby Union has also failed to provide basic training facilities required to meet the high-performance demands for a side that is aiming to qualify for the maiden Olympics including food supplements and a gymnasium. Sewe accused the national body for failing to secure players' contracts, leaving them with the choice of seeking alternative means of survival instead of rugby in what is a second revolt against administration by the team in recent times. And in athletics, South Africa, Nigeria, Botswana, Morocco, Zambia, Ethiopia and Kenya had representation at the 33rd Madrid meeting in Spain. The athletes were mainly a youngest group determined to brighten their futures. Our correspondent Geshem Nyati reports. Karina Horn of South Africa was the only one from a group of new athletes who performed much better, finishing third in the women's 100 meters in 11.10 seconds. Horn qualified for the final after winning her heat in 11.06 seconds. Another South African, Cornel Fredericks, who despite being more mature than the rest of the African side, was eliminated in his preliminary round in the men's 400-meter hegelos. He finished fourth ahead of Miles Okoma of Nigeria, who also did not go through. Gerald Piri of Zambia and another Nigerian, Patrick Chinedu, finished fourth and fifth in the men's 100 meters. Both did not progress to the final. Onkabetze Nkobolo of Botswana ran a sub 46 seconds in the men's 400 meters, 
finishing seventh overall out of two hits. He showed great depth and is already shortlisted to be part of the country's team in the 4 by 100 meters at the upcoming World Championships in China. Morocco had Malika Aukauri finishing fifth in the women's 800 meters. And Ethiopia was the best side with Genetti Tikisti winning the women's 3,000 meters triple chase and Abduwake Tura took the men's 3,000 meter title. The Kenyans played second fitly to the Ethiopians in the two long track events. Geshom Yati, Channel Africa Sports, London. And that's your sport news this hour. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, interact with us here on Channel Africa. We've got a Facebook page simply titled Channel Africa. That's the name of the page, Channel Africa. And we thank you to those that are actually uh, liking the page. We have a lot of uh, likes that are taking place. Thank you for your support. And uh, you can join us there as well if you want uh, some updates. And, hey, we always have podcasts of this program after the hour or so, so... Uh, do uh, find us there on Channel Africa on Facebook. And also you can tweet us at Channel Africa 1. That's at Channel Africa 1. It's the numeric one. It's the number one at the end of Channel Africa. It's at Channel Africa 1. So do follow us there. Or you can SMS us. Remember the question we asked today. How do you think that we can actually invest more in developing young people in Africa as uh, our future lies in them? Let us know your thoughts. Plus 2779-695-7930 is the SMS number. It's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same place, same time, right here on Channel Africa. Coming up is Africa Midday.